what affects the grape is what is happening around it. It says a lot to us as people to learn from. And if we can learn anything from the vine, it's A, what happens, our ability to become good people is to surround ourselves by things that are good and surround ourselves by things that will only improve us. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to another episode of the Karim podcast. Um, unfortunately, I'm alone again this week. Uh, our production schedule was such that Ari wasn't able to be here. Um, but please don't fear, he'll be back again soon. Um, our special guest this week uh, is a wonderful young man by the name of Sam Baum. Uh, Sam is a vintner, uh, a wine producer um, who works for a very well-known wine company uh, here in Israel, uh, just outside Jerusalem. Um, I was very, very fortunate to spend an evening uh, with Sam strolling through the vineyards uh, as the sun was setting. It was really incredible. Uh, the view was fantastic. The surroundings were incredible. Um, and talking to Sam was nothing short uh, of inspiring. Um, just spending time talking to someone who is so passionate about what they do um, and who has a vocation so directly dependent on God, um, whether it's the halakhat of Orlan Shemitah that we talk about, um, or just being at the mercy of the seasons um, and sort of being in a direct partnership with God uh, in the work that he does um, was really, really uh, amazing. Sam's passion for his work, Sam's passion for Judaism, Sam's passion for the land of Israel as a, a Zionist um, is really something I haven't stopped talking about uh, in the couple of weeks since we recorded. Uh, we're well into the summer vacation, and as I'm sure everyone has seen on the news the last few days or week or so, um, it hasn't been uh, the easiest uh, here in Israel. Um, but I think uh, with Tisha B'Av and the nine days behind us, uh, with Tu B'Av uh, on the horizon, um, I think we all deserve to pour ourselves a glass of wine, uh, sit back and enjoy this really, really fantastic episode of the Kyron podcast. So without further ado, here I am uh, with Sam Baum. So I've just, uh, I've come off Route 1 uh, in the hills just outside Jerusalem uh, to a gorgeous vineyard um, where I'm joined by our guest for this week, Sam Baum. Sam, well, I'll let Sam introduce himself properly, but Sam uh, has been working for a number of years in Israel's uh, viniculture, um, and we'll be talking today a little bit about wine production in Israel, the history of wine in Israel, uh, wine in halacha, uh, and all sorts of things, and also the work that Sam does, uh, which is really fantastic. So, Sam, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, just wanted to say that I've seen other people that were on the podcast, and I'm very much humbled by the invitation and uh, thank you very much. No, it's, it's, it's our pleasure. Very, very looking forward to uh, talking. Let's, I mean, let's go for a walk and uh, as we're walking through this uh, stunning, stunning view, uh, landscape, uh, interested to hear what you have to say. Um, so I guess we'll start off just very simply. Sam, who who are you? Uh, what's the story? How, how do you end up uh, where we are now? Okay, so Sam Baum, as you said before, uh, son to Daniel and Sharon Baum. Uh, grew up in Hendon. Uh, went to Independent Jewish Day School, Hasmonean. Arrived in Israel uh, at the end of 2011. 
uh, went to Yeshiva Takota for a year and after that one year I wanted to uh, join the army and uh, my parents wanted me to do another year in Yeshiva I wasn't that interested and I went to an Israeli machina called uh, Bnei David Eli um, and I, uh, I'm pointing out that point because it was a big pivot for my understanding uh, of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, from there, at the end of 2013, I joined the Israeli army. I served in the Nachal Brigade for five years, uh, leaving as a deputy commander of a company. I married Rifki Portnoy, originally from Manchester, um, who's currently about to currently about to finish her finish her nursing degree and is about to take her government exam. And we had a son uh, a year and a half ago. Um, and this is me in a couple sentences. I mean, you're not, you're not thinking yourself justice. You're, you're, you're more than those two sentences. But, um, you know, also you said that sort of that time was a, uh, a pivotal moment for you sort of when you left Yeshiva HaKasel uh, and went to the Mechina and then into the army. Um, I mean, so at what point do you find yourself where we are now? As in, so we're, we're strolling through uh, a gorgeous vineyard um, and sort of this is, this is your day-to-day. -day. So as, you know, as, as I got out of the car, said, wow, this is, this is your office. How does one find themselves coming to work every day in, in these surroundings? Okay, so I, I fell in love with the land, but actually fell in love with the land when I was uh, studying in Bnei David, which is situated in the Shomron. Um, a landscape that I'd never been worthy of seeing before um, and suddenly my eyes were opened into a whole new part of Israel which wasn't uh, just beach, sea and holiday mode but a real uh, love for the, for the land itself and during the army the amount of training that I went through which is probably around altogether two and a half years of training uh, most of that time was spent in the field and I slowly but surely realised that I really loved being outside, really touching the earth. And my dream was to plant something or do something with the land. And I was not quite sure what it would be. And about two years into the army, I was on a base training down south, uh, near, near to Mitzvah Ramon. And suddenly I saw for the first time in my life, a vineyard coming out of the sand. That vineyard, in retrospect, I now know belongs to a winery called Nana. Uh, and it was about five years old when I saw it. Um, and that absolutely amazed me. Um, so when I was coming up to leaving the army, um, I was looking to go into agriculture, and specifically vineyards. Um, and I saw a opening in a winery in the Judean Hills. Um, and I went for an interview. They said that there was no room for someone in the in the agricultural department uh, but there was room for someone in the production so liking wine and actually getting into wine two years before that I took it with both hands and I joined the production team um, and I was in the production team for two years um, in the beginning of 2020 a position opened up in the vineyard and I went for it and the production team decided that it would be okay for them to let me to let me go 
Um, this is all within the same winery. Um, and I joined a different department uh, as a trial period. Um, and three years later, we're now walking through a vineyard which we I planted um, in the end of 2020. It's now in its third year. And next year will be its first yield that we can use to make wine. So I really will be making wine uh, out of the grapes that I planted, which is a real dream come true. And a second reason that I joined, I wanted to join the, the agricultural department was because the wine that we make is only representative of what comes out of the field. Um, and as soon as I understood that and understood that the quality is only a mirror effect of what it was of the quality of the of the vineyard I understood that that's that's my direction and I was very lucky for there to have been an opening which I was uh, able to take for a complete novice like me yes um, I've, I mean you say you know you started in the production side and now the agriculture side so what I just what when you say production side, what does that mean? When you say agriculture side, what, okay. what does that mean? So the production side of things is anything from when the grape comes in from the field until the grape is bottled, packaged and shipped or shipped out to America or Europe or to restaurants and, uh, and shops within Israel. So it means uh, fermenting the grapes. It means pressing the grapes, filling up the barrels, cleaning the barrels, uh, cleaning the vats, uh, sticker machines, bottling machines, uh, cork machines, uh, anything from building cardboard boxes for the wine to go into until making sure that the right processes are happening with the right, right, uh, with the right grapes. Um, of course I was one of a bigger team, about five people, but uh, the winery that I work in is a winery that makes 500,000 bottles, a bit less, per year. So we're talking about a barrel which has a thousand barrels in it and produces six different types of wines. Um, and so the whole year round, the production team is extremely busy. Um, so that's on the production side. And like any uh, business, there are peaks. So in the summer, from August, it really actually runs according to the Jewish year. So from basically Tuba'av, which is the first picking of the grapes, which is not a mistake, but it that's how it works every single year until uh, Rosh Hashanah uh, the grapes coming from the fields and the process starts by the winter time by January most of the wine is already in the barrels and then there's a blending process and eventually the wine comes back into the uh, into the big vat room and is bottled and if we're talking about the vineyards and agricultural side of things um, we're talking from planting the actual vines um, actually starts a lot before that choosing the right area to plant in checking the ground making sure that the right components in the ground are like we'd like them to be that there's not too much stone that there's enough earth, enough earth and then preparing the entire area for a vineyard so all the metal construction and the poles and the wires then planting and then looking after the fermentation uh, not the fermentation sorry looking after the um, fertilizer and the water each vineyard has its own processes and its own uh, special things that we do with it some vineyards are organic so throughout the year and that process starts from uh, Rosh Chodesh Nisan 
is when the vines start to wake up and they're picked, like I said, two bath. I mean, so we'll talk a bit more about that in detail uh, as we continue our walk. Huh? Listen, to, again, just I think to, to give the listener sort of an idea of, of where we're standing, it's visually, you know, we're in sort of when you think of the lush greenery of sort of central Israel, um, that's sort of where we are. Um, I, I also I read recently again as I say I'm, I'm a wine novice I hope to learn more um, but I read recently that Israel has now been recognized there are now recognized regions of uh, wine production in Absolutely. Israel so throughout the world there are recognized wine regions what that means is that each region gives something different to uh, the flavors within the grapes so if you know that you're getting for instance a Chardonnay from a place in France called Chablis, so you're expecting one thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're getting a Cabernet Sauvignon from California in America, so you're expecting something different. Um, in order to be recognized as a wine region, it's actually a legal process. Um, I would say that Israel has five wine regions. Um, you have the desert, you have the Judean hills and its surrounding areas, mm -hmm. you have the Galil and you have the Golan. Those, I would say, were the five main areas where the first one to have been officially recognized as a wine region is the Judean Hills. Um, geographically, that's the area surrounding Vishakhat and, uh, and the Shvela region. So, uh, Row 38, the Shemesh area. Right. Um, and what they have managed to prove is that certain grapes grown in this certain region give a certain a flavor profile. Uh, so if someone is going to buy a Syrah or a Shiraz from the Judean Hills, they'll be expecting a certain flavor profile. Um, it was a two-year process um, which only just finished and it technically does include, although it doesn't have the official stamp, but the terroir which is the climate and the, and the uh, earth type does include uh, areas like Gush Etzion mm -hmm. and uh, and Shomron area and Binyamin. Uh, due to legal reasons, uh, worldwide the areas that have been recognised are the Judean Hills and the Shvela area. So let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Um, you know, obviously we know from Tanakh, we know from Gemara that viniculture and, and wine grape growing, wine production has been integral to this part of the world uh, for a long time the halachot surrounding wine um, and everything sort of is born out of the fact that you know J Jews were drinking wine we weren't drinking vodka we weren't drinking gin uh, we were drinking wine um, what is it about so you mentioned this about the the production regions but what is it about where we are now in the Judean hills around Jerusalem that makes it so uh, it makes it such a good wine region wine region yeah exactly Okay, so it's a always a combination of a few factors um, because wine, grapes, that will be for wine, vineyards aren't grown in a sterile environment. They're not grown in uh, greenhouses. They're not grown in closed off areas. They're grown out in the open and whatever the ground has to give them, that's what they are able to take. So what, and this is in general because the region changes from north to south and from east to west um, but if I'd have to say in general what the region 
um, is able to give to a vineyard to bring it to an extremely high quality is the fact that the we're not sitting here on meters of earth uh, we're sitting here on between some of our vineyards only have about 30 centimeters and hit until you hit you know bedrock mm -hmm. and maximum we're talking about seven centimeters so what that enables um, the vintner to do it enables the vintner to be able to control the amount of water that the vine is taking in right and what that in turn enables us to do is manipulate the the vine um, and by manipulating the vine um, if it's okay if I get into this yeah. is the vines most important job is to protect its seeds because that's what gives the vine creates more life the vine when the grapes start to mature they release a smell animals come to eat the grapes they then the grapes and exit the right. animal <laughs> and there are more vines and that's the vine's interest so what we do is we starve the vine of water which then makes the vine create a thicker skin because that's its security shell mm -hmm. for the seed and once it creates a thicker skin that's where all the flavor and the color of the wine exists within the grape the pulp which is basically sugar water is not so important for making wine apart from the fact that that's the, that's the substance what, what a, a winemaker wants is a thick skin to have a lot of flavor a lot of tannins which gives it a sort of uh, structure to the wine um, a good color um, and a ratio and a low ratio between pulp to mm. the skin therefore creating that uh, we can create that conditioning already within the vineyard um, so this wine region going back to the wine region it has uh, all year round breeze from the sea that's the breeze we're feeling now which is a western a western breeze coming in from the sea all the way up towards Jerusalem which that uh, helps us to stay away from all different types of bugs and uh, pitriot uh, which is a fungal or fungus or fungus or fungal diseases um, it cools the vineyard down which enables everything to the process you want the process to happen slowly and gradually and that means each process has its time to to develop um, and then and the nights are cool which basically enables the vine again to slow cook that's what we want the vine to do we want the vine to gradually go through all the processes starting Rosh Chodesh Nisan around the end of March and ending with the great maturing on the vine uh, by Rosh Hashanah by Tubav and that if every season goes through like it should slowly but surely so the vine matures and all the flavors and the colors and the acidity and the tannins are created like they should be so if I could just summarize we're talking about a a shallow earth bed between 30 centimeters to 70 centimeters we're talking about a western wind that comes from the sea we're talking about cool nights and we're talking about gradual seasons those four components enable us to really manipulate the vine control the vine control the growth and naturally gives the vine a healthy a healthy home to grow in. so that's no you can probably hear us you know we've been strolling 
sort of as, as the sun moves towards uh, towards setting, uh, we've been strolling down further into the valley uh, in the vineyard that you planted with your own hands. Yeah. Um, and you've sort of alluded to a couple of times how the wine production here is so closely tied to the Jewish calendar. And so it's something that we're all aware of, but our listeners sitting at home, I imagine many, if not most, um, have little uh, agricultural experience. I certainly have none. Um, and I've come from my home in Modian, which is only about 25 minutes away. Um, but sort of here, you've gained like a, a first-hand experience of sort of everything that we talk about on the Chagim, you know, when it's Chag uh, HaAsif, whatever, whichever Chag it is, sort of that's how you're... Uh, Living the Jewish calendar on my blood and on my hands. Right. Um, absolutely. Uh, even in the most uh, cutting-edge winemaking regions, they are now, I don't know if it's reverting, or could say reverting forward to the Jewish calendar. Um, they're touching on following the moon to follow the cycles, to when to plant, when to pick, and when to do different processes within the vineyard because they have an understanding that the agricultural world works according to the moon and not necessarily according to the sun. Or if it does bring the sun into its uh, equation, it's not necessarily a heavier, comp- heavier component than the moon. And as we know, the Jewish year follows the moon. So this year, for instance, was a leap year. The vines usually wake up from their dormant period uh, towards the end of February. This year, there was an extra month. All the vines woke up at the end of March. Uh, you just live, feel, see and witness that that Jewish year, year after year. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Tuba'av was whenever I went to the vineyards, uh, went to find their wives, and that was the year when all the grapes had started to mature and are ready to pick, and it's not for no reason that it happened inside the vineyard. That's when the vineyard is looking its best and it's come to an end of its period, and it's about to start another period. And maybe Tuba'av and Inver Geffen, the Inver Geffen, all these things tied together. All these things are not even two sides of the same coin. I believe and see and feel that they're the same side of, the, of, of one coin. And it, that's that's what you were referring to earlier when you said, you know, when you're in your machina and sort of out in the field in the army, that's sort of like that Absolutely. reawakening you had. Absolutely. I feel that the minute I understood, and it was fairly late on in life, but never, never too late, is that the Jewish people are a nation and one of the major components of a nation is a Medina, is a, a land that they belong to. And I realized that the connection is intertwined and cannot be separated. And when they are separated, then it's bad news. Um, all those components came together that the feeling of the land and really living with inside your home and then being able to actually day in, day out, touch the land, feel the land, first of all, protect the land and then go and plant the land and hopefully one day develop the land in a different area that's never been developed before is, for me, will be a dream come true. But I think in terms of our nation, it's the return after after 2,000 years of being unable to do this. And this area has been a wine region for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. They found a winery by Yavne. Uh, about almost a year ago now, um, which they think was the biggest, one of the biggest wine production, uh, wine productions that were happening in the time of the the Byzantium. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they were creating a million five hundred thousand bottles a year and there were no machinery and that was happening here in israel so although this is seen as a new country of wine really it's an ancient country which is coming back to its roots and we're clearly seeing that within the wine world in israel by what's being planted and how it's being planted that's slowly but surely developing as israel starts to create its own to that of its wine and one of the first steps is what we spoke about uh, uh, earlier is making the judean hills into an official wine region of the world i mean one of the things that sort of is uh, i'm noticing is is how you're constantly like there's so much waiting involved that you know you plant and it's about waiting it's doing what you can to manipulate the water and making sure you know what, whatever it is right um to try and do your best to sort of assist nature right. in producing uh the right grapes and right. and that will hopefully be uh the best wine and um, i think that patience goes even further you said that you've planted this vineyard that we're standing in this particular vineyard in uh, Nevelan, um is a vineyard that was planted uh in the summer June 2020 we're now in its third year um, which is within the three years of what's called Orla um, the first three years you're not allowed to touch the vine at all you can't pick you can you can't pick the fruit you can't use the fruit it doesn't belong to us um, it's lower to the ground um, it's actually the same for any other trees that are planted here in Israel um, and it can be quite frustrating because this year we were able to yield per dunam a dunam just to have an idea is 30 by 20 meters so we have here planted 60 dunam each dunam on average could have yielded around 600 kilos okay which to convert that into wine is about 60 percent of that can become wine uh, we're talking about around 400 liters of wine turn that into bottle numbers of 750 milliliters you're talking about another around 6,000 bottles. Right. So, and we lower that to the ground because there's a certain understanding and you see it on a day-to-day -day basis. And especially because this year is Shemitah is that, you know, we're not, A, we're not in control. B, we don't understand all the complex processes that are happening within the vineyard, within the vine, within agriculture, uh, within the seasons, even though sometimes we think we do. Um, we don't. And part of that process is until the vine hasn't matured to its fourth year uh, the grapes can't be used at all coming back to on a worldwide view vineyards in france uh, and italy who are becoming what's bio uh, dynamic they too in their third year are lowering the grapes to the ground in order to create a much stronger structure of a vine giving it a much longer lifespan um, in the long run right. and the vine is all about the long run uh, you sometimes hear see or hear about old vines an old vine is a vine that's gone past its 20 year 30 year period uh, in general this is in general and it knows exactly what it can give it knows the yield that it's happy to uh, to create and its flavors and maturity come out in the wine it's complex and deep and and it's sure of itself and that's that's what we're trying to create much like a person right um <laughs> exactly well, we have a lot to learn from the vine we oh, do wow. and I, i'm just, so we're talking about we're talking about Arla, you mentioned schmitter as well and just how you know finally we've got all these these 
quote unquote modern vineyards around the world who are moving towards you know biodiversity and right. biodynamic and, and whatever but they're looking they whether they're doing it on purpose or not they are uh, mimicking uh, or like they're mimicking Shemitah um, and such whereas you know when someone comes along here we'll, we'll, we'll sort of come to why we chose to speak to you in particular in a second um, but you know a a vintner, someone who who owns the vineyard, someone who's making right. creating the wine, they know that for the first three years, they're not making any money. They're not right. making any wine. Well, every seven years, years. <laughs> eight years, um, and then for the uh, you know every seven years, stop. Uh, Got to figure it out. Hundred percent. And that's something that sort of the, it hurts. the people it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts because you look every year, you wait for the grapes to leave their dormant period. You then look after them like a baby. You're in the vineyard day in, day out, eight hours a day, nine hours a day, ten hours a day, fertilizer, water, fixing things, looking after things, making sure the leaves and the vine have exactly what they need. And then you come, the grapes are produced, and you just lower them to the ground. And it's a very humbling experience. It's a strong reminder um, of who's in charge. And I think in general, in life, another reason that I was really became connected to the land and, and to agriculture is because it's really us and it's in our most big, basic form. There's nowhere to hide to, there's nowhere to run to, there's nowhere to escape to. Whatever the vine has decided to give you, which is, in essence, whatever the seasons and the rain and whatever we've managed to produce, which is, you know, and a 90, 90, 10 to the one above. That's that's what we have at the end of the day. And when you see that day in, day out, it sort of just becomes part of you. And that that's for me one of the most amazing parts of working, working outside, working agriculture, towing the land that was wasn't touched for years, years and years, barren, completely empty, not producing what it's producing now. We're talking about in Israel sixty thousand dunam is what's planted and growing just in wine just for grapes just for grapes of wine right not even eating grapes that's a different that's almost a different animal altogether and uh, you know this is the return of us to our land and this is just it's taking its natural causes and for me to be one small boreg uh, screw in this huge process is is more than I could ever ask for I mean, that, you, you talk about how humbling it is. I mean, you know, I, I've driven past here hundreds of times and never thought, you know, oh, what, what's, what is making it green? And then coming down into the valley and, and walking with you, sort of explaining is what we're seeing and what we're doing. It, it's humbling. First of all, just the whole agricultural process, that it's, it's, it's almost something from nothing. It's taking part in, in, the crea- in creation. Yeah. Um, but then also that this is, you know, building the land of Israel, which, you know, we at Karen, we try and do on a uh, textual level. Right. Um, but you're, of course, doing it in an actual level. Um, and something that, you know, the Israeli wine culture, which is something I want to talk about as well, is something that's, you know, growing, pardon the pun, but growing more and more um, and gaining huge, rep- wonderful Rapid. reputation around the world. Yeah. Um, and so now sort of re- why we came to talk to you sam in particular is because this year as well big year for you uh but this year was the uh the beginning of the the bound winery yes so uh tell us a bit about that so uh, the bound winery was started off as a 
a process that I wanted to start myself because when I moved to the vineyard, I no longer could produce the wine in the winery because there was just too much to do. And I moved to 60 hours a week in the vineyard and therefore it was impossible for me to, to make wine and carry on learning. So it started as a learning process for me to, to create wine, um, which I did so in my back garden, uh, which is known as a garage winery, and literally in a garage. Um, and it came to the end of this year and we tasted the wine, uh, which me and Rifki actually did on every Friday night, uh, just to see where it's at. And we decided that it's time to take that leap and to start selling what, what we had produced that year. Um, although I was extremely hesitant to start that process because my dream was always to plant the vineyard and then pick the grapes that I planted and then to create the winery. And for this all to happen in the north of the, the Golan region, we also have to be realists. And you have to start somewhere. And for me to be able to sell my 200 bottles of Israeli wine to family and friends is just, I did not imagine it was going to happen this year. I didn't even imagine it was going to happen in five years time. The goal we had set ourselves was by La Vie, by his bar mitzvah, we'd be selling our first bottle of wine. And yet we turned around one day in mm, end of June and we had opened our own winery. Um, the grapes are from the Judean Hills. Uh, from a kibbutz Kiratanavim. And the dream, if I can already fast forward to there, is to really make the best wine that Israel has ever ever seen. Um, and although it sounds cheesy and obvious that I'd say that, I believe that Israel has so much more to give. And we're only Although this has been a wine region for hundreds of years, although forgotten during certain periods, Israel has so much to offer the world in its quality of wine. Um, and I would like to be one of the people at the forefront of that process. Um, and to be recognized, which is a side point, but it's vital. Often Israeli wines are pushed into the kosher section because they are kosher. Right which creates a problem that anyone who isn't necessarily Jewish doesn't see them, doesn't taste them, and doesn't, isn't able to enjoy that pleasure of Israeli wine. And my dream is to be part of that process of moving Israeli wine out of the kosher section, 100% to keep it kosher because that's who we are. Right. But for it to stand on its own as an Israeli wine, and for people to recognize it as a, a wine region that has something to offer that no other region can offer. Um, and that we've taken our first step and I thank everyone who has taken part in the process and including all of those who bought because if not, then there'd be no process. Um, and I only can hope for next year for the wine to get better and in a couple of years to plant my own vineyard. And it, I mean, it's, it's truly inspiring to sort of be walking with you uh, through the vineyard here and hearing about this. It's uh, literally part of, of you know, um, what's the word? Chazon acharit ayamim. What's the word in English? Uh, <laughs> to literally be part of, of you know, return. yeah, the return, the return to the land um, and making it something that it both always was 
and something right. that it could be um, is is truly truly inspirational. And for the listeners, we'll we'll link to all uh, all sorts of information we can. But just like the branding of the Bound Winery is is incredible. Um, yeah, very I'd excited like to, to try it. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for you to try it. Um, but you say as well, you know, so Israeli wines are often sort of quote unquote relegated yes. to the kosher section. Uh, yes. um, they are relegated to the kosher section. Why is that? As, you know, as I said earlier, I, you know, I'm not uh, certainly no expert in wine. Right. Neither am I. Growing up in the UK, well, <laughs> no, I'm not. more so than I am. Um, you know, growing up in the UK, like our experience of Israeli wine for a long time was was Palwin. Uh, you oh, know the, the Palestine wine company used for kiddish and yeah. and uh, stripping paint off the walls. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Israel has these incredible wines to offer. It has incredible everything to offer. You know, Jaffa oranges are a, a, a world leader, um, and all sorts of you know cherry tomatoes being developed here, right. and all these different things. Why is it that wine sort of has has so far languished uh, in the kosher section? What is it about the I think, I think it's about sales um, for the big distribution companies to shift their wine, especially Israeli wine. It's much easier for them to to slam it in the kosher section. They know they've got an audience which will buy it. Mm-hmm. They know that they have an audience which will see it. And to break into the Middle Eastern market and to put Israeli wines on the shelf next to it would be next to Lebanese wines, mm-hmm. and that's what we have here in the region. Um, would sit next to wines from Greece, maybe um, Syrian wines. I mean, that that's who's growing grapes and, and creating wine here in the region is is a lot harder. And Israel has shifted, and the winery which I work in was one of the first big players to create quality wine. Israel is a region that needs to stay, in my own humble opinion, stay far away from trying to create quantity wine or quantity anything within agriculture because we just don't have the space. Mm-hmm. We can't complete, compete with the thousands of acres that they have in France or in Australia or in America and to create wines that are $2, $3, $4. That's, that's not our game. Our game is quality wine, which has something to say for itself, which can stand alone. And now that the world is starting to understand that Israel is a quality wine region, slowly but surely the wine will start to leak into the middle eastern market and will be sold as an israeli wine representing what israel has to give as a flavor profile and as its quality and i hope to be a big part of that of that of that game and of that process and so i mean you mentioned the you know the 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 cheap wines um Again, just because, because I don't know, I, I expect many of our listeners don't either. You know, what what makes a wine $5? What makes a wine 50 What makes it 500 What makes it $5,000? The, the bottom line is the raw material. That's the bottom line. And it's simple math. If you have one dunam creating 750 kilos per dunam, or you have one dunam creating two and a half ton. Right. So the cost of your grape drops from the seven and a half shekel, which is what quality wine grapes are now being sold at, which is pretty groundbreaking because until three years ago, you were buying grapes for four shekel, all grapes, any grapes. Um, and if you're, bu- if you're making quantity wine, then you're buying grapes at four shekel a kilo, maybe even three shekel a kilo, because they're, because they're two tons per dunam. 
Now, when they're two tons per dunam, it doesn't just mean that the that it's that the grapes are at the same quality, but they're just more of them. No, the quality drops. As soon as there's a big yield, the energy and the resources that the vine has to split between its grapes, between its bunches of grapes, the ratio changes. And therefore the flavors and the color and the tannins and the acidity, all of that, that balance is off or it changes and it becomes a lot more or less intense lower quality uh, grape in turn making a lower quality wine that does not mean to say in any way shape or form that there isn't room for quantity wine mm -hmm. i drink every night one glass of wine and i suggest to all listeners to do the same that wine is a 30 shekel 25 shekel 20 shekel because that's appropriate for that sort of mm -hmm. that sort of uh, everyday drinking but if you want to have a good quality table wine it's going to be hard to find at that sort of that sort of price um, in israel specifically and i said this before but i'll touch on it again especially in the regions that i mentioned before the galil the golan the judean the judean hills and the top of the negev those are areas which can each in their own right produce grapes of a very high quality and offer flavors and a uh, flavor profile which other areas in Israel can't provide and other areas in the world can't provide. Okay, so tell me more about uh, your wine, about the Baum winery. You know, what, what wine are we talking about? Talk to me about, oh, I said before, the branding is, is wonderful. The label, you sort of uh, released it uh, on social media and it's stunning. Um, so, I mean, tell me a bit more I mean, about the wine itself and about sort of what, uh, what your goal is. You, you mentioned you know, the, the doctor's orders of uh, one glass of wine a night. Yep. Uh, I'll certainly take that to heart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so is uh, the Bam Winery, it's going to be a, a, you know, an everyday wine, a special occasion right. wine. So the Bam Winery, as I said before, wants to produce the best red wine, red wine that Israel has ever produced. And I want it to be recognized in the top restaurants throughout the world. Um, they don't know that yet, but I, <laughs> I know that. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, you heard it here first. Um, the type of wine that we are going to slowly but surely create our philosophy towards won't be an everyday uh, drinking quantity wine, but it will be a special occasion uh, bottle, which hopefully um, will be able to mature and be opened years later after the flavors have developed and opened up. All of this, we're talking 10, 20 years down the line, after the vineyard will be chosen, the area will be chosen, the, the vineyard will be planted, um, and the grapes will be picked and made into wine, then we'll see if all this dream will, will come true. Um, the labeling, uh, which is a big a thank you to Rifki, my wife, who, who produced it along with Michal Deitch, who was the graphic designer from London, uh, which is also very fun to see that people from our childhood are coming together to really be a part of this journey, which is we are very thankful for and, and really enjoy it and want to bring as many people in together to work on it. Um, is really split up into the journey of the Jewish people because you have the name Baum at the top, which is a German name, yet we chose to write it in the way that the Torah scroll is written, which is basically 
the basis and the roots of our entire nation. And that you can't, in my eyes, get any more basic than the Torah font. And that's everything that someone, everyone agrees on. Um, and yet the words in German, that's from the diaspora to uh, exile. Um, and then you have the thumbprints which sit on the tree of me, my son Lavi. Um, Lavi Shabtai Marawi, whose third name is actually an indigenous group to Israel. Um, and of Rifkis. And surrounding that tree is a, is a, uh, a few a pasukim from Amos, which explains and talks about the return of the Jewish people to its homeland. And the reaper of the seed will be the one who also makes the wine. And I mean, that's just, that's happening as, as basically as I can, as, as I can put it, that's really what's going on. And so we chose those few pasukim to surround the tree and, and almost say, this is what we have to offer. This is who we are as a winery, as a people, as a family. Enjoy. I think it's, it's, it's something that I think I've, I've uh, learned without expecting talking to you this afternoon, this evening, has been sort of the, the level of patience and the level of passion uh, that goes into uh, producing the wine, um, specifically producing the wine in Israel. Um, I remember hearing several years ago, I, I forget where, but one of the reasons why we're prohibited from drinking wine produced by non-Jews is because that level of passion, that level of uh, involvement, uh, if you particularly enjoy the wine, you'll think, I've got to get to know this guy. I've got to get to know, and, and you know, that leads to, you know, taking it to the extreme, else. leads yes. to everything else, leads to intermarriage, leads to whatever. Yes. Um, and so sort of I, I knew that, I heard it intellectually, yes. but, you know, hearing from you the, the level of passion, the level of patience, the level of involvement that goes in is really, as I say, I've never really been a wine guy day I enjoy wine, but I certainly want to learn more. Um, I suppose, you know, so you chose these, these talking from Amos for, yes. for your label. Um, what do you think it is about wine in particular, grapes in particular, that comes up constantly throughout Tanakh, throughout Gemara? as the metaphor you know that if you're going to plant them you're going to reap them that's sort of the metaphor for goodness i think i think it all sort of that question is pretty perfect because it sort of will tie in everything we've been speaking about which i guess was on purpose but it's very clever what it what it what it means is that when you plant a vine you're waiting a minimum of three years you're not going anywhere you can go somewhere else but you know you can't you you can't use it. So you're waiting at least four years until you can actually take from the efforts that you've put in. For those three years that it's been planted and not touched, you've still looked after it. So you're talking about a long, long journey, which you need to have patience for, which you need to have a passion for, which you need to really want to do it and want to be part of it in order for it to succeed. Um, so when the vintner sows the seed, you've got years to come until anything comes out of it. So I think that's the number one, the long journey, um, which I think the Jewish people have most certainly felt on their own skin and blood. Um, I think the fact that the vine is totally dependent 
on its surroundings um, and it's in what affects the grape is what is happening around it it says a lot to us as people to learn from um, us as people are affected by what goes on around us and if we can learn anything from the vine it's a what happens our ability to become good people is to surround ourselves by things that are good and surround ourselves by things that will only improve us and the third thing is that the way the vine looks after its its seed as i said before we manipulate the vine to create a thicker skin by basically endangering its seed endangering its offspring and therefore it protects it that's its first thing it will drop a vine will drop every single leaf that it has before it drops its uh, bunch of grapes that will be the last thing that happens if it ever happens uh, and us as jewish people i mean i don't think there's any other nation in the world who can say that they've been through what we've been through and have completed or are on our way to complete our return to our homeland that resilience that that ability to see the long game and to not have given up and to not and to never back down is something that the vine does itself um, so all those things the surroundings the long game the protecting our offspring the understand that there's you know a long chain of people before us and hopefully also after us is something that for me that the vine sums up just by being there and so then to go and make from that wine which is then used in all of our ceremonies if it's a chuppah if it's kiddush if it's benching all those things that reground us and remind us what life's about and the goals of life and what our direction and our channel and our vision is as a people for me to produce something that is takes part in those ceremonies is it's just that's it amazing it is and I, as you know I've, as i say i've said it already i'm blown away by your your passion uh so i'm, I'm contemplating giving it all up and coming to work for you um <laughs> You know, I think, as you say, you know, wine occupies this unique space in uh, in our thought and in our uh, culture, our religion. Um, so much so it has its own bracha. Right. Um, that, you know, the, the, the only the, thing that, the almost the only produce, raw produce that after it's squished or created into actually goes up a level. Right. Whereas everything else apart from wheat to hamotzi right doesn't right and i think i mean there's there's something there as well tying those two things together but just because we're standing in the vineyard and i'm talking to uh hopefully one of Israel's future top vintners um certainly yeah i mean certainly somebody who's who's you've clearly got the past passion and clearly got the knowledge uh even now that you know everything you're saying there's three things the long game the uh the protection the 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 vine offers and, and uh, I think that, that uh, being a metaphor for, for us as a people around the world and us as a nation here in Israel um, and that it being, you know, you, the more you squeeze it, the more you leave it to ferment, the more you leave the wine uh, to, to mature, the better it gets. And that's true of the Jewish people as well. Um, so, you know, as the sun starts going down here in, uh, here in this beautiful vineyard that these two hands have, have planted, yeah. thank you so much for giving me your time you uh, for showing me around 
Um, Come back. I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I think as well, you know, our listeners uh, abroad, even if you can only find the wine right now in the kosher section, uh, they should go looking for it. Um, tell their non-Jewish uh, wine merchants and whoever they should really try these these Israeli wines. Israel's back. Uh, exactly, Israel's back. And, Jewish and people are back and the wine's back. And I see as if we've hit that, that home button on whatever phone you've got. That's that's what's happening to the Jewish people. It's slowly but surely everyone's coming back and we're coming straight back to our roots. The Shivat Haminim, those are the fruits that really flourish here. And it's clear as day. It's uh, it's it's beautiful. It's a really, really beautiful thing. So thank you so much, Sam. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, hope everyone enjoyed listening. That's it. That's all we have time for uh, for this week's episode of the Current Podcast. It really was so incredible to spend some time with Sam strolling through the vineyards. Um, his passion for his work, his passion for Judaism, his passion for the state of Israel is something that I feel rubbed off on me and I hope came across uh, to all of you. Uh, the listener. If you want to know more about Sam, the work he's doing, uh, especially producing his own wine uh, with his wife, Rifki, uh, you can follow them at Baum Winery on Instagram. Uh, and you'll see there some really stunning pictures of uh, the label uh, that we, we spoke about uh, there in the vineyard. Um, it's very, very exciting what they're doing. And, and I look forward and I hope we all look forward to following uh, his career with great interest in his mission to be one of Israel's great wine producers. Um, spending that time with him, hearing his passion, um, not just for the wine that he's producing, not just for uh, the work that he does, but for the state of Israel, for the land of Israel, uh, for Judaism, for our religion, um, was really, really uh, inspiring. And I have no doubt that Sam will achieve everything he is uh, setting out to. Um, if you want to know more about us, if you want to be in touch, you can contact the current podcast by email podcast at currentpub.com on social media at current publishers. Um, you can find all of our books at www.currentpub.com. Uh, and as always, you can get a 10% discount on your entire order using the promo code podcast at checkout. Uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode of the current podcast, uh, hopefully with REA that time. Um, and so all that's left to say uh, is goodbye. <laughs>